Hey friends, thanks for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel today. We hope that God speaks to you in a personal, powerful way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Word of God with us. Pastor, thank you, Pastor Rich, for that extremely warm and wonderful introduction, I think. I think it was. So, as Pastor Rich said, my name's Gary Bell. I'm one of the elders here at Believer's Chapel. It's my honor and privilege to bring the word. So I only do preach a couple times a year. So the problem with that is I have a lot to say, so we may be here for a very, very long time because I got a lot stored up. So not really, I'll have you out here by two o'clock. So, <clears throat> but I want to thank Pastor Rich for the privilege. Um, God puts things on my heart throughout the year and stirs me sometimes in some very specific ways about things that he really puts, puts me through to bring forth the word. And so today's topic is called, When Enough is Enough. How many people have heard enough is enough? We've all heard it, right? So we probably said it to our kids. We probably got frustrated with them and said, enough is enough. Or probably our parents said it to us at different times in our life. I was raised by a single mom. She was barely five foot tall. And I was more than a handful. And so when I was in my preteen and teen years, I got into all kinds of trouble. Some of it with the law, some of it, all kinds of things. I won't get into those details today, but my mother would yell. She would say, Gary, when is enough going to be enough? When is it going to be enough? Enough is enough. And she would grab a hold of the first thing she could lay her hands on, which was usually a broom handle or a wire-handled fly swatter. I don't even know if they make wire-handled fly swatters. And she would come at me, and of course, I could outrun her. So most times, she couldn't get me. But every once in a while, she would wait until I was kind of in the vicinity and things had cooled off, and then she'd get that fly swatter out, and she would whack me. And she would say, there, that's for what you did yesterday. <laughs> so. So how many people here believe that sometimes God comes to the end of himself and says, enough is enough? Yeah. You think he does that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you some stories today about God saying enough is enough. Stop and think for a moment about the evil, the chaos, the confusion that's going on in the world today. I mean, the world is coming unglued. So I've been on this earth a few decades, and I have never in my lifetime, I saw things happen during the 60s, I saw things happen during the 70s, and all through, but I have never seen anything like what we're dealing with today. Large numbers of mass shootings, regularity, people getting shot, getting killed in large, large numbers. This issue of abortion, about people fighting and arguing over trying to keep something legal that is clearly against God. Some states are promoting infanticide, the taking of a newborn baby's life. This is how low the morals and values have declined. We've got a drug epidemic. We've got states that want to legalize not just marijuana, but hardcore drugs like crystal meth, heroin. It is absolutely insane. And then, of course, we've got same-sex marriages, which was certainly nothing that God ever, ever planned for when he put people on this earth. We got children being taught about sexual choices at an earlier and earlier age. 
things that, again, God never planned for. People say, these are cultural issues. This is our culture. These are cultural issues. God says, no, these aren't cultural issues. These are sin issues. These are an affront against me. This is sin and rebellion against God. Throughout biblical history, there are many accounts of God reaching his limits with his his people, his own people, the Israelites. God would give his Israelites, he would give them instructions on how to live. He would give it through prophets, he would give it through priests, and sometimes if they had a righteous king, which wasn't that often, he would give them instruction on how to follow his ways. But just like people today, the Israelites would always gravitate and fall back into some other culture's sin, some other people's sin, and some idol worship. And so they would go through these patterns through history where God would let them become captive to some other nation, and then sometimes hundreds of years later, he would rescue them, reestablish them, and the series would start all over again. In the days of Noah, the world had become so evil, so sinful, that God had Noah build an ark to save a remnant of just eight people. Just eight people were righteous at the time when Noah built the ark. God wiped out all humanity because of their sin. So one thing's for sure. God is a righteous and a just God. He will put up with sin for just so long before he reaches his limits. The good news is God is also merciful. He wants no one to perish. He provides opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for people to turn away from the sin, to turn away from whatever it is they're doing that's an affront to God and turn their lives over to him to have their lives restored. I'm one of those people. My life was filled with sin, filled with all kinds of wrongdoing. But God rescued me from that place. Today, I want to take a look at the account of Sodom and Gomorrah when God had really had enough of their sin. Sodom had become a stench to God, and he could no longer tolerate it. And God comes to those places. Now, this is an X-rated account from the Bible. There's some pretty graphic language in here, so I want to warn you in case you have children here today. The word Sodom is connected to sexual sin, and the word Gomorrah means evil and corrupt. God had instructed Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, to leave his home country of Egypt and go to the land of Canaan. Abraham and Sarah were old, way beyond childbearing years. But Abraham had a nephew named Lot. And so he took Lot along with him, and Abraham was his father figure, his mentor, and he brought him along on the journey. Abraham and Lot traveled, And they accumulated so much wealth, so much cattle, that it created a problem to where the herdsmen started to quarrel with each other. And Abraham said to Lot, he said, we can't continue like this. We've got to split up. We're going to have to go our separate ways. So Abraham gave Lot his choice. He said, where do you want to go? What pasture do you want to take for your cattle? And Lot picked the lush Jordan Valley. But in the lush Jordan Valley was also the city of Sodom. Genesis 13, 13 says, 
Sodom was wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Sodom was a boom town, had tremendous resources, lots of commerce, lots of wealth, a high standard of living, but it was beyond evil. Lot didn't recognize the long-term consequences of his decision. His character is now starting to be exposed. His greed, his short-sightedness, his selfishness is being exposed. And he took the best land, even though it put him in these incredibly sinful surroundings. Scripture tells us that in spite of Lot's decision to go to Sodom, in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, it says, And God rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So New Testament scripture paints a pretty objective picture of Lot, that he was righteous, but he stayed in the environment with all of this sin taking place, all of these immoral people and all of these surroundings, and it distressed him and it tormented his soul. And this is very descriptive of what happens when we compromise and we're conflicted and we try to have a form of godliness when we're with Christian people, but then we go over here and we become kind of worldly when we're with our worldly friends. Lot was in a horrible situation. He had too much world to be happy with God, and he had too much God to be happy with the world. And we can find ourselves in a similar predicament when we want some of both. I would call this being an almost Christian. Almost a Christian, we're almost there, and this happens sometimes with newer believers to get all revved up for God, for Jesus. But then the world starts to kind of pull them off sides. I went through that when I was a new Christian, and sometimes I gotta be careful I don't get pulled there again. Because of Lot's compromise, none of his family or friends knew about God. You can't be a righteous person in an evil culture, we're in an evil culture surrounding you, without it affecting your mind, your heart, and your soul. You may not succumb to the sin, you may not give in to the sin, but the fact that the sin is all around you, it will influence your decision making. If you're surrounded by sin, it will dull your senses and your reasoning, just like in the world we're in today, with all of these issues surrounding us, it's easy to be drawn into thinking, well, maybe some of this is really kind of okay. In Genesis 18, God sent three angels who appeared as men. So God sends these angels disguised as men, and they visited Abraham and Sarah and gave them the news of God's plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where the story starts to get a little more interesting. While the angels were leaving, Abraham was walking with them facing the city of Sodom, and the angels were heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. So in Genesis uh, 18, verse 20, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So God is grieved by the sexual sin. He's grieved by the greed, the greed 
the selfishness, the corruption, the lawlessness. God wants the people of Sodom to repent. He wants them to turn away from this sinful, evil life that they're living, and then he will restore them, and he will opt to not destroy them. But they do not turn. They continue in their sinful ways. So God is sending his angels to guide his men to destroy the city, and Abraham knows that Lot is down there, and he knows what God is planning to do. So God gives Abraham an opportunity to intercede for Lot and for Sodom. So this dialogue starts to take place between Abraham and God, and Abraham asks God in Genesis 18, 23, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you wipe out the righteous people along with the wicked people? I mean, it's a pretty bold thing for Abraham to say to God. Abraham then continues the dialogue with God, first asking, if there are 50 righteous people, would you spare Sodom? Well, Abraham knew there wasn't 50. So he goes to 45, he goes to 40, he goes to 30, and he goes to 20. And then he goes all the way down to 10. And he asks, if there's 10 righteous people, will you spare Sodom? And in Genesis 18:32, God says, for the sake of 10 righteous people, he would not destroy the city. Now, Sodom was a city with tens of thousands of people. It wasn't some little bedroom community. We're talking about a very large city. And God's saying, if there's just 10, just 10 righteous people, he would spare it. The angels arrive in Sodom at the city gate and town square and encounter Lot. The angels plan to stay in the square overnight, but Lot insists that they come to his house and spend the night there, wash their feet, have a meal. And I think that Lot knew that if these men, he doesn't know they're angels at this point, stay in the town square, something really bad is probably going to happen to them. So now we're coming to the X-rated part of the story. Genesis 19, verses 4 and 5 says, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. This is in the Bible. I didn't make this up. This is in the Bible. Now we see the reasoning for the name Sodom and for the evil that God was referring to. This says all men, young and old, from every part of the city. In other words, the entire male population of this city wanted to come and rape these guests. This was the sin that God was so grieved over. In verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them what you like. But don't do anything to these men. They have come under the protection of my roof. So Lot's tried to strike a really bad, bad compromise with men, these men, by giving them his daughters. But they're not interested. Lot's thinking has become really screwed up because of the time he has spent in this evil environment. Genesis 19.9 says, get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner. Now he wants to play the judge. 
We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to bust down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Remember, these are angels. Then they struck the men who were at the door, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. So these men from the city of Sodom had absolutely no respect for Lot. If you recall back in 2 Peter, it talks about that Lot was righteous, but he was tormented because he allowed himself to remain in this evil environment. But the men from Sodom had no respect for Lot. His life of compromise had put him in a situation where he had absolutely no influence. The men of Sodom were so deranged, they only wanted men, and they were prepared to cause harm in order to have their pleasure. In Genesis 19, 12 to 15, the angel said to Lot, you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, daughters, sons, or anyone else in the city who belong to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Now here's this this. this really bad, tragic thing that's about to take place. God is about to wipe this place out, and these sons-in-laws think that Lot is joking. In verse 15, it says, With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. So notice, there wasn't even ten righteous people there. We're down to Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. They couldn't even get to 10 righteous people. God was willing to mercifully spare Lot and his family from this horrible situation. In verse 16, when Lot hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful toward them. Notice it says Lot hesitated. So why would you hesitate? When all of this is happening, all of this calamity is taking place, why would you hesitate? Only if you were conflicted about whether or not you wanted to leave and give up the familiar sinful city. You see, he becomes so entrenched, he becomes so familiar with the environment that he had a hard time leaving. How many times have we hesitated and procrastinated about giving up something that God wants us to give up. Now, God speaks to us, to Christians, even non-Christians. He will say, get out of this. Don't do this. Don't be with that person. Don't read this. Don't look at this. Don't do that. But what do we do? We make excuses. We procrastinate. We hesitate. We have, all have sinful habits and behaviors that God wants to deal with. We need to pray that God will speak to us. We need to pray that God will speak to us and convict us and show us and tell us. But maybe more importantly than praying for the knowledge is to pray for the obedience. 
to pray that we will be obedient when God shows us what to do. I've had situations, I, I just had one recently where I was, I've been praying for wisdom about how to handle a certain situation. And, and it wasn't life or death or anything like that, but there was certain things that God was kind of putting in my heart. So I'm praying for the wisdom about how to handle a certain situation. And so God gives me the, he, he gives something to me. He gives me an answer. <laughs> and my first response is, I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> and so it took me a few days of praying and kind of thinking through this. And it was like, I'm thinking, God gave me the answer. I've been praying for an answer. He gave me the answer. Why am I hesitating over this issue now that he has, in fact, provided the answer? And it was, it was the right answer. So we've got to make sure that we do the things that God wants us to do. In verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of the angels said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. So the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and completely destroyed the entire city and everything in it, including the vegetation. Lot and his family were instructed, don't look back. Don't look back to the sinful place. Don't look there. Leave that alone. What does Lot's wife do? She looks back. God turns her into a pillar of salt. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly why she looked back, but when God says, get out, you better get out and go. She obviously didn't take God seriously. She had escaped. God gave her an escape, but she made the mistake of looking back, and it cost her her life. So the question is, how seriously do we take God? Do we take him seriously? Or do we just choose to kind of chug along, chug along, chug along, doing what we want to do, and not really take seriously the things that God says in his word, the things that God says from the pulpit, that God speaks into our life? We've got to take God seriously. The pull of sin is so powerful that even after we're set free, we can still be drawn back to the very things that bring destruction. Satan will do everything possible to destroy our families, our life, and our society. Sometimes, in God's mercy, he gives us one last chance to give up and get out. He doesn't want us stuck in a sinful life. He doesn't want us stuck in any sin, period. If we won't give up what God wants us to give up, God may not do it right away. But sooner or later, there'll be a consequence. I had things in my life. I got involved when I, when I was with my first wife. I got involved in an affair with another woman. Now, I knew better. I came to know Christ when I was a child. God would never give me any peace my whole life with all the stupid things I did, all the illegal things, everything I did. God never gave me peace. He was always there telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And in this particular situation, while I was in the middle of this affair, God was telling me every day, go home, go home, go home. Don't 
do what you're doing. I knew better. And I kept telling myself a lot. I kept saying, yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. I'll deal with it. Yep, I'm going to go home. Yep, yep, yep. And the longer the days went on, the more deceived I became and the less chance there was of going home. And I never did. Lot was a stubborn individual. He'd lost his moral discernment. God allows us to be imperfect. He allowed me to be imperfect, but he did expect me to turn from sin and seek righteousness. The life of Lot shows us it's possible to have a saved soul. Lot was saved. It got him out of there. We can have a saved soul, but not have an awful lot to show for it at the end of the day. We could be saved, but maybe we're not doing an awful lot for the kingdom. The world we're living in today is pushing ideology on us to accept sin without calling it sin. When you listen to the, whatever news you listen to, podcasts, all these things, unless you're listening to, to it from a Christian perspective, all of this confusion, all of this chaos, all the things that are being spoken, you don't hear anybody saying, this is sin. It's do this, get involved with this, get involved with that. This demonstration, this, this organization, do this because it's popular. You know, whether or not we get to heaven is not going to be by a jury trial. It's not going to be by public opinion. There's not going to be a poll that says, does Gary deserve to go to heaven? It's going to be between, it's going to be between me and Jesus. That's what it's going to come down to. So we have all these things that are going on around us that are pulling and tugging and pushing and being promoted, which will move us away from God and move us into thinking that certain things taking place in our society are acceptable. We may be sucked into and pressured to agree and go along with sinful thinking and behaviors that are strictly against God. Just because something is legal, marijuana, abortion, all these different things are legal, does not make it right with God. This is a big issue with a lot of young people. I've got people in my family who say, well, it's legal. It's legal. How could it be bad? It's legal. Well, it could be legal and still be bad. Someday in the future, God's going to say, once again, he's going to say enough is enough. And the righteous will be rescued. This last scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. And this is probably the most important scripture that I'm going to give you today. Can we get that up on the board? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Can anybody say hallelujah? hallelujah? We're coming out of this place. All of this stuff, all of this stuff is just a manifestation of evil that's taking place around us. But one day, Jesus is coming back. God will once again rescue the righteous. All born-again believers who are in the grave are going to be raptured up to be with Christ. The believers that are on this earth are going to be raptured up to be with Christ. Those who have not accepted Christ, go to your scriptures and, and, and check this all out. 
Those who have not accepted Christ will be left behind to endure the terrible times of the tribulation. We should take this issue extremely seriously because when all believers are gone, think about this, when all believers are gone, you got, we've all seen movies on this, the left behind and everything. The world, the world that's left here is going to be more evil than anything that we're seeing here today. There will be opportunities for this unsaved to get saved during that period of time, but it will be a horrific time to still be on earth, which means we should be doing everything possible to get our family, friends, neighbors on the journey with us to heaven. Anybody say amen to that? So the question is, are we ready for Christ right now? Do we know him? Does he know us? Or would he say, you know, I don't know if I ever really knew you. You know, are we kind of like Lot? Are we kind of, you know, kind of have this life that kind of chugs along but doesn't have a lot to show for it at the end? Are we hanging on to destructive behaviors, quarrels, wrong thinking, bad company, obsession with someone or something? Are we hanging on to unforgiveness, anger, resentment towards someone that God has convicted? Let go of this. Enough is enough. Have we come to the point where we realize that enough is enough, that we've got to do some things differently and change the way we're thinking and change the way we're behaving? Have we been procrastinating about making a decision to come to Christ? We know what we should do, but we don't want to give up what the world has to offer. That was the problem I had. I was 40 years old when I came to know Christ. God had been after me my whole entire life. He'd been after me. Chasing me down, chasing me down, chasing me down. And I did every ridiculous, stupid, sinful thing I could and was on a path of total and complete destruction. My wife, Alice, and I were separated on the verge of divorce. My wife, Alice, here, been married 40 years this year. Praise God. 41 this year. But ran, ran, and ran, and procrastinated and hesitated when all the time I knew what the right thing was to do. But I wanted what the world had to give me. I wanted the fun of it. I wanted the pleasure of it. All these things that I chased brought nothing but destruction. And finally, when the destruction was so great, I finally turned to the only one that could save me. So what are we to do? I'm going to call the worship team up. First, we've got to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we haven't done so, we need to repent for our sins and turn our life over to the care and forgiveness of God. We cannot have God without first accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Second, the Bible says, keep watch. Keep watch for what? Keep watch for the return of Jesus. We should anticipate this. We should have great anticipation for getting our life in order, bringing our loved ones along, and being ready and watchful for the return of Jesus. He wants us to see sin clearly. We've got to see what's going on around us. We've got to understand what's sin and what's not. We've got to look at the events in the world through God's eyes and God's perspective. He wants us to be encouraged that he will return when we go to heaven there's no more chaos, there's no more evil, there's no more sickness, no more crying, shedding tears for the loss of loved ones. Those things will all be behind us. Hallelujah. 
Third, we need to work for the kingdom. Do good works to make a difference. Don't end up like Lot with a life. And the story, actually, if you go back and read it, even gets worse beyond what I shared with you today. And last, pray. Never stop praying for those God puts on your heart. You may not see results immediately. You may not see the family member get saved right away. You may not see somebody get healed right. You may not see these things. Many of you have heard the story I've shared about my granddaughter who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma when she was five years old. And they were going in, they had her on the, they were taking her in to do a surgery to put a, to take a bone out, put a prosthesis into this five-year-old child. And many of you have heard me tell this story because I've told it many times, but I'll tell it again today. So I'm in the waiting room, the doctors are just taking her out, they're taking her into surgery, and I'm there with my son and my daughter-in-law. And Alice is at home, she's watching the other grandkids. And God says to me, pray one more time. Pray one more time. We've been praying. We've been praying for weeks. We've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Pastor Mel knows the story. He was here at the time. I called Pastor Mel. I said, Pastor Mel, he said, God said, pray one more time. And that's what we did. We prayed one more time. A little while later, the doctor came in, sat down in the room, and I thought, oh, no, this is bad news. He takes the mask down, and he says, it's gone. He says, it's gone. So my point is, don't ever stop praying. Pray one more time. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thanks again for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's our hope that you will make today that day to call upon the name of the Lord and to give your life to him. If you'd like to speak to a pastor, please take out your phone, text 315-444-2100, and somebody from our team will be in touch with you. Also, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus from the first time today, text the word Jesus to that number, 315-444-2100, and we would love to celebrate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.